is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Hear ye the word of the Lord. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing songs, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. Amen. I want to spend a little time talking about what to put on what to put on. Uh, Growing up in my family, uh, we paid a little bit of attention to how one dressed. You were not allowed to just go out of the house looking any kind of way because you were representing your family when you went out. So when you went out and about, you could not just walk out any kind of way. And because I grew up like that, I tend to pay attention to that when I see other people. Uh, They say that we make a judgment about a person within the first 12 seconds of us meeting them. And then we then spend the rest of that time confirming our bias. Now, not to say that we can't get to know someone and uh, change our initial opinion of them, but that first 12 seconds is important. And I would have to imagine that in those first 12 seconds, something that you look at when you first meet someone is how well kept they are. You may not necessarily notice the brand of clothing, but you'll notice if it's clean or dirty. If it's taken care of, you'll, you'll notice those sort of things. And so I thought about that when I was reading today's passage because the Apostle Paul, when he was talking to the people in Colossians, he was talking about what they put on. But he was not just talking about clothes. He was using the clothes as a metaphor for what they put on in terms of an attitude. Uh, we spend this time after we first meet somebody confirming our bias or, or, or changing our bias about them because first we look at how they look and then we look at how they act. And how they act determines how we interact with them. Amen? So Paul begins by reminding the Colossians church that it's not necessarily about uh, how, how, how things have been going. Remember, this is a new church. And this is a new church that has gotten popular because it's starting to treat people a little different way. Learned about something during those times that was called household codes. 
men were supposed to be treated a certain way and women were supposed to be treated a certain way and children were supposed to be treated a certain way and slaves were supposed to be treated a certain way and those were called household codes because you usually had a man and a woman in the house and children and some sort of indentured servant for a, a bit of time and the reason, well one of the reasons mind you that the way those that were following Jesus at that time got so popular is because those household codes got abolished. When you were born a certain way back then, depending on the family line that you were in or the profession that the family that you were born in, you were kind of stuck there. But here comes this man from Galilee who provides an opportunity to says that, yes, you may have been born this way to this family and been this way your entire life, but I'm here to give you something new. Any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. So those new things is what the Apostle Paul is talking about, this new thing that Jesus is bringing in, and this new thing has some strange rules. Uh, You're not supposed to talk to people any kind of way. You're not supposed to talk to people any kind of way. You're supposed to treat them with love and respect. Not only that, but you are supposed to be in community. It's not just about you and yours and everybody else's on. You have to be concerned about those who cannot take care of themselves. James said it best when he said, true religion and true and uh, spotless religion, rather, and undefiled before God is to take care of the widows and orphans. The widows and the orphans were those who could not take care of themselves. So I guess in layman's terms, what I'm trying to say is, is if you are trying to be a Christian, you have to be a Christian in community. And so the Apostle Paul is reminding the church that it's not about marking yourselves different and claiming your individual rights. You're the church. You're a new person. You get a new wardrobe. wardrobe sorry. There's no longer Greek or Jew. Uh, there's no longer slave or circumcised or uncircumcised, Scythian slave or free, but in Christ is in all in all. That is what he was saying when he brought those people there. And all those who love Christ are God's chosen ones. Those are the ones who are holy and beloved. So our dress, our demeanor, our posture, our attitudes are to reflect the one who chose us in Christ, which means we have to put to death the earthly and the self-serving attitudes. We have to be concerned about someone else besides ourselves. So he tells us to take off these old things and put on a new nature. And to put on this new nature, you need to put on new virtues. Let the church say virtues. A virtue is a plural noun. Virtues are plural nouns. Uh, Behavior showing high moral standards. Synonyms of goodness, righteousness, virtuousness, morality, integrity, dignity, rectitude, honor, decency, respectability, nobility, worthiness, and purity. It's a quality that's considered morally good or desirable in a person. To make good or useful quality of a thing, that is a virtue. To have something that you desire, they say that patience is a virtue. That is what we have to put on if we are going to call ourselves Christians. Why? Because we are representing Christ, and you never know who's watching. I'm I'm often told in many of the organizations that I've joined, you are always somebody's interpretation of XYZ. 
So when they tell me I'm out and about and I'm putting on my Greek letters, Kappa Alpha Psi, I've been told that you are someone's perception or interpretation of a Kappa, how you act. Uh, they've told me that as being a Mason, you are somebody's, you are always somebody's perception or interpretation of a Mason, but I come by to tell you today that those of us that are in Christ, we are always somebody's interpretation or perception of a Christian. Time and time again, when I hear about people that don't want anything to do with Jesus or this Christianity that we have, they don't actually have a problem with Jesus. When you boil down to it and when you drill down to it, it's usually somebody that was a Christian that acted in a way that they were not they didn't think was befitting of a Christian. And because they said, this is how this Christian acts, they said, I don't want to be a Christian. You all will preach more sermons than I ever will preach. You all will influence more people than I ever can influence. So how you operate, how you carry yourself, how you talk to people, how you treat people is somebody else's interpretation of a Christian. So we have to take up these virtues. And what are the virtues? Well, they're right there in verse 12. There's compassion, there's kindness, there's humility, there's gentleness, and there's patience. That's what we're supposed to take upon. When he says to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Uh, Compassion is sympathy for the situation of others. You look at the situation that they're in and you ought to feel some way about it. You ought to be able to hurt when they hurt. You ought to be able to feel what they feel. You may not be able to feel exactly what they feel, but how can you be a part of this religion where the the greatest commandment said by Jesus in Matthew was to love God and love people? How can you not feel some way about the people suffering? You have to have sympathy for the situation of others. And then not only do you have to have compassion, rather, you have to put on kindness. Kindness is the active consideration for others and their needs. Think of kindness as compassion taking action. So not only do we need to feel a certain way about it, but we ought to be able to do something about it. I can't just pull up to the corner and see somebody on the, on the side of the road and say, well, be fed and be clothed in the name of Jesus and then drive off. I ought to be able to do something about it. That doesn't mean you have to do something for everybody, but we can't use the, ex- the excuse that we can't help everybody to not help anybody. I mean, that is what we're here for to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and bind up the wounds of the afflicted. That is what the church is put out here for, to spread the gospel of Jesus. So we ought to be doing something about it. And so we put on that compassion. We feel some way about it, and we, we have the kindness, so we do something about it. And then we also need to put on humility. We're going to need humility in order to do the kindness thing and have, have the compassion because humility helps us to see others as more important than ourselves. Humility is helping us to see others as more important than ourselves. Humility is the ability to see others as more important than we do ourselves. 
that is something that is all over the New Testament, particularly when the writings of Apostle Paul, because Ephesians 4 and 2 says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, humility. Uh, Philippians 2 and 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. And then, the like, I like it when he puts it plain in Romans 12 and 3. He says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. There's always somebody better than you. There's always somebody bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, making more money, doing more with less. So we ought not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We ain't all that to begin with. Ah, when you really break it down to it, we are nothing but filthy rags. But God saw fit to love us in spite of ourselves and send his son to die for us that we didn't deserve it. There's nobody's resume that could make them qualified to accept it. So we ought to be a little more humble about these things. We ought to exercise a little more humility. And then the Apostle James adds in, thir- in uh, 3 and 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds, and the humility that comes from wisdom. Humility. One of the church fathers, St. Augustine, said it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes humans seem as angels. Pride. Pride, thinking that you deserve a promotion when you do not deserve a promotion is what got Lucifer demoted. Satan, he said in the Bible that he would set his throne above the stars, above the throne of God. And the moment he thought it, instant demotion. Instant demotion. And so you have... uh, uh, Lucifer, who was over worship, and uh, the archangel Gabriel, who went out and gave messages, and the archangel Michael, who did war. But there's an opening in the worship department now. Because the current head of worship got fired. Just in case we were wondering what we were supposed to do, be here doing, we're to worship. Why? Because there's a position open. And what happens when somebody is fired on the job? You fill in for that position. And so that is what we are put here to do, is to worship. But here we take on this humility, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we're not. And then there's meekness that we have to put on as well. Uh, Meekness, or gentleness as it's called in some translations, involves courtesy and consideration of others. It's one thing not to think more highly of yourself than you're not, but it's a whole other thing when you got to do something or act upon it or act like it. You can believe a lot of things, but when you act like it, that's what's going on. But this meekness thing, we've kind of gotten away from the translation of it. See, the, when you look at it in the Greek, the word for meekness really means strength under control. Uh, the Greek references, when they talk about being meek, they talk about uh, a tamed wild horse. When a horse, a wild horse is tamed, it has not lost its strength. When a wild horse is tamed, it hasn't lost its strength. It's just more under control. So you're able to take this wild horse that you've tamed from place to place, and that horse is still strong enough to jump and buck and tear everything else up, 
but they know a little better. So we've gotten this meekness out of control. We've gotten this meekness uh, uh, misinterpreted. It means strength under control. So just because I'm capable of tearing stuff up, being meek means I'm capable of tearing it up, but I use better judgment about it. I ain't lost my strength. Don't let the smooth taste fool you. I can still get down, but I'm under control. Meekness. And then after we put on the meekness, we put on patience as well. That's the ability not to become frustrated and angry when others intrude upon us, but instead offer forgiveness for their shortcomings. I'm still working on the patience thing. I'll be the first to admit I'm not. I'm far from perfect. When I say I think I'm hungry, that means I want the food right in front of me. When I say I think I'm about to do something, it's about to happen. I'm very impatient. I like stuff done now. Now, 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 now. I I have no idea where I got that from. And it's interesting, you know, to watch my children. I think they might have inherited the impatience as well. Because both Johnny and L will ask for something, and if I say in a minute or wait, no, that's not good enough. On the good days, they'll ask me for more time before then. But then other times they will let loose. Uh, Johnny has learned the are we there yet question. And he starts asking it when we're at home, and I put the car in reverse to back out the driveway. But we have to exercise patience. And not only do we have to exercise patience in those kind of things, we have to exercise patience with people. We can't allow ourselves to become frustrated at everybody else's shortcomings. Arguing with them does no good. Mark Twain said, don't argue with fools, because if you argue with fools, they'll drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. They also say not to argue with fools because people from a distance can't tell who is who. So we have to exercise patience if we're going to walk in this thing called Christianity because people are going to try your patience. I would love for everybody to get along and agree on everything and like every idea and there be no no discord among the brethren and sisters, but that's not always going to happen. But the patience, the ability to forgive everybody for their shortcomings is how we can continue to come back to the table so we can disagree without being disagreeable. We don't hold these grudges. Why? Because we have to forgive. When there is a failure of these virtues, the Colossians are encouraged to forgive one another just as God forgave them. This congregation is bound together by love. These are people who weren't always together at the same time. They were come from different walks of life, different incomes, different family lives. But here they are together under one church, believing in this one Jesus. And so there are some disagreements, but they have to remember about forgiveness and love. It's bound together, and when you bear with one another, as the scripture says, you fully accept them for who they are their strengths and their weaknesses together because we love them. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Thinks uh, love is not puffed up. 
Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whenever there are prophecies, they will fall. They will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But that which is perfect has come, and that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For we see now in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, and we know now we know in part, but then we shall know just as I have known, and abide in faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And why is love the greatest of these things? Because love extends beyond the grave. We lose our faith when we find out what's real and what's not. We no longer have that faith and we no longer have that hope anymore because we are no longer hoping when we get what we want, but we can love continuously. And that love you can feel beyond the grave when there is someone that is gone and that is in your life, but they've gone on to glory. You can feel the love that they put into you and the love that they poured into you. So love is the greatest, and that's what we must do as Christians, is love. This love is the bond of perfection. And we have to understand it even when we don't feel the love from others. Even if we don't feel the love from anybody else, our friends, our family, our co-workers, those who we thought was going to be with us to the end, even if we don't feel the love from them, we ought to know that we are still loved by God. We are the apple of his eye. He knows how many hairs are numbered on our head. He knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. So if don't nobody else love us, God loves us. And that should be more than enough. And because God loves us, we can keep on going. We have a peace that passes all understanding. And we ought to thank him for it. We ought to thank him for it because that's the peace. He loved us in spite of ourselves. He loved us when we didn't deserve it. We know we're willing to cut everybody else off when the slightest mistake, no matter what the excuse was, valid or not, we can cut them off. But God loves us so much that he didn't cut us off. So we ought to be thankful about that and have a peace that passes all understanding with that. And we put on God's peace and thankfulness and then we put on the words of Christ. I said in verses uh, 16, uh, verses 16 and 17, it says, let the word of Christ dwelling you richly and teach and admonish one another in all wisdom with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God but let the words of Christ dwell in you richly let the word dwell in you richly we ought to be in the word I find it strange that in this day and age I can go to a seminary and hear a seminary professor in a Bible teaching course say, I don't value biblical literacy. 
but then I can go outside of the church and I can hear Muslims and Hindus call us people of the book. I find that kind of weird. That's disheartening to me that you can have people that are supposed to be training the next generation of preachers and teachers not care about knowing the word, but the word tells you to know the word. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved. A workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We got to know the word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We ought to know the word. The Bible says in Joshua, it says that the book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you shall observe and do and to do according to all that is written in it. For when you make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. We ought to know the word. We got to let the word of Christ dwell in us. It says in Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We got to know the word. We got to let the word dwell in us richly. The Bible says that grass withers and flowers fades, but the word of God lasts forever. All people are like grass. What happens to grass? Grass grows up and grass gets cut down. But the word of God is forever. There's got to be a reason this is the best-selling book for over 2,000 years. There's got to be a reason that this is something that everybody reads. Even people who are not a part of our religion can read the Bible back and forth. I know more atheists that have read the Bible cover to cover than I know Christians. We ought to know the word. Now, you may not be able to recall the Bible back and forth, cover to cover, but you ought to spend some time in it. If you don't spend some time in it, how do you know I'm not making stuff up? My son, forget not my laws, but let my heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. We got to spend some time in the word because that word will last forever. I can't remember what the popular song was last year but I know that Jesus died for my sins. Why? Because it's in the word. There are a bunch of songs I can't recall, but I can recall this word. And even if you don't memorize the word back and forth, have word on you. Spend some time reading it. Learn it and it'll come into your heart. That is why they say when you memorize something, you know it by heart. Know the word. Know the word. Let the word be in you. Put on the word. Even if you just read a chapter a day, read something, get something in you. This is not the opportunity. This is not the chance. It's not the time. The time is changing. And there are people out there that do not care about our Jesus. And it's easy to not care about our Jesus when the people that are supposed to be representing Jesus don't know anything about him. Don't know anything about him. Don't know anything about the word. So we ought to read the word. So we can understand that this Jesus was born of a virgin and suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, dead, and buried for us. He knew no sin, but he took on our sins so that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That they took him to Golgotha, a.k.a. the place of the skull, a.k.a. Calvary. And there he gave up the spirit and died for us. That's why we read the word. And we read the word continually because we know that's not where the story ends. 
that he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And that he rose with all power in his hand and gave us a straight access to Jesus so that we would not have to worry about death, hell, and the grave. So we put on this word. We put on this word and we take it with us into this coming year. We put on this word and we take it with us into our jobs. We put on this word and we take it with us into our extracurricular activities. We put on this word and we take it with us as we go to school. We put on this word and we take it with us as we go everywhere we go. So that all can see the light that shines in us. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.